usually people are always like the bigger the better in a way more challenging to print bigger and then at the same time kind of challenge people to what if you if you make it smaller and how small can you go Hello, print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. Each week, I chat with artists who use print-based media to do something beyond the expected. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as in Spanish with Ronaldo Gil Zambrano. Together, we speak to printmakers around the globe about their practice and passions in the world of printmaking. Hello Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products, who've been offering a diverse range of high-quality products to your creative practice since 1997. But we all know that those products do not use themselves, and that is why Speedball works with a fantastic lineup of contemporary printmakers who make up the Speedball team of demo artists. Artists like Miles Calvert. This cheeky Canadian uses his wit and whimsy to make every demo as educational as it is fun. In his personal practice, major bodies of work include mass installations of screen-printed toast, you heard that right, toast, and the idolization of popular British celebrity culture. So if you want to learn a few tricks of the trade and expand and improve your practice, head on over to Speedball's YouTube channel and you can see how it's done. There's a link in the show notes. My guest this week is Martin Schneider, founder of the Open Press Project. We talk about creating the world's first widely accessible model for the 3D printed printing press, which started as a university project and kind of came to take over his whole life, why he gives the design away for free, and his traveling exhibition of tiny prints made on this special little press. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to get rolling with Martin Schneider. Hi Martin, how's it going? going really well. Thank you, Miranda. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a great honor to be on this podcast. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to you about your project and how you came to it and that story because the Open Press Project is something that I've been following along since it came on my radar. And I just think it's such a cool, unique thing to have in our print world, in our global print family. So I'm really excited you so that you could join me. Yeah. Means a, means a lot to hear that from you, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So before we start getting into the story and the narrative and this cool thing that you've got going on, would you please introduce yourself and let people know who you are, where you are, what you do? Sure. My name is Martin Schneider. I'm a designer and printmaker from Cologne, Germany. And some people may have seen the little 3D printed printing presses that have been going around on Instagram and social media, and I'm the initial designer of it. So, yeah, that's Wonderful. <laughs> and where are you now? I am in Cologne. So okay. I've, I was born and raised in Cologne, and I've not been able to get away, basically, <laughs> for a long time. Yeah, yeah. A lot of us have been, been in one place, for sure. So... There's been a little pandemic going around, making travel a, a bit more difficult. Yep. But So I did my master's in Northern Renaissance art. I traveled in Germany and got to see the museums there. And so I really associate 
Germany personally with printmaking and with the kind of birth of the European traditions and some of the the great masters like Dürer and Schungauer and people who were working in what's now modern day Germany. Was that a part of your childhood growing up? Did you feel the art historical tradition of the land that you were growing up in as a part of that landscape of your childhood? That's a good question. I'm not really sure. Like, I've been starting printmaking when I was 15 years old, Mm -hmm. but I've only started in like the local printmaking workshop. And basically in Cologne, there's just one institution that is really doing that and like where you can make take courses and have an open workshop where you can do your printmaking. And well, before like the Open Pass project, I haven't really I wasn't really into the printmaking community at all. It was more like a, a local thing in Cologne. I was definitely aware of it because of it. But yeah, not so much because I think like Cologne is a, a little bit not as vibrant in that community, not like Berlin or Leipzig, all of these other cities, maybe. Yeah. Did you go to museums growing up and have art a part of your life in a more general way? Yeah, I did. Definitely. Like, so I have a twin brother and we were always like going with our dad to exhibitions, to local exhibitions, but also to museums around the country. Definitely. Yes. Sure. Yeah. And that was that something that you enjoyed or was it kind of more of a obligatory family outing? Oh, no, no, not at all. No, it was I was really enjoying it and getting the all of the inspirations and this what maybe led to what I'm doing now as well. And so you said you started a local workshop at 15, getting your introduction to printmaking there. When and how did that happen? Did you just see it on the street and decide this is something I want to be involved in? Or, yeah. Kind like, of. It, it was 15? kind of sudden. Yeah. yeah. I, it was for an internship. So when I was in ninth grade, like there's this usual internship where people kind of have a look in, in a job they like. And I found this this printmaking workshop, didn't know what it was about, actually. I just like drawing, basically. And I walked in and I, I asked if I could be an intern. And they never had an intern up to that point. And <laughs> I'm kind of the historic intern there that never left. So I did my internship for like three weeks there. And then they adopted me. Like it's become my second home. And it's a very like special place in, in Cologne with really nice people. And yeah, it's, it's, it's my second home. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you were able to connect with some of that printmaking Uh, community, the printmaking, sense of place that I think a lot of us find in print shops. Would you say that's true? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, lovely. And so when you were there, do they do, were you doing etching, intaglio, relief? What was your sort of focus within printmaking? Yeah, I always liked printmaking because I, I come from like the drawing side of things. So I really like dry point etching and soft ground, hard ground etchings. That's always been like my focus kind of but I've tried all of the all of the things basically at my internship and then moving forward being there once a week and doing my own stuff so yeah and before we get into the open press project what is your art what's you how would you describe your your practice that you do personally well so I started off as an illustrator basically in the kind of the world of game design concept art Mm -hmm. I really liked character design so lots of characters for me lots of kind of yeah, in the sense of, of game design and, and yeah, that, that world is, is like, it's a whole different world, but yeah. I try to kind of, kind of connect it with printmaking too. And I had a look at a couple of exhibitions, but I was more like, 
doing illustrations and experimenting with now I'm experimenting with with new new techniques, trying to come up come up with my own techniques. That's kind of like what I do now. But the Open Press project has been kind of my main project, and since I published it or since I'm working on it, kind of my my personal art has kind of been in the background, mm-hmm. which is not a bad thing. It's like I get much more fulfillment out of the Open Press project right now. So yeah, and so how did the Open Press project come to be? What's the story of its founding? So I was I was studying design. Or I'm actually still studying design, but it's a course called Integrated Design, where we do like all kinds of disciplines in in design and try to make project that incorporate a lot of different techniques or disciplines. And there was this exam coming up, so I needed a topic, and I always wanted to kind of combine the printmaking with my design studies because I felt like. Lots of my fellow students didn't even know what an etching is, or like yeah. they didn't, they don't know intaglio printmaking, which is kind of a shame. Like most of them have done lino cuts or like maybe potato printing in, mm-hmm. in kindergarten or something. Yeah, classic. But like they, exactly, they they never tried etching, and I kind of wanted to. Well, I was kind of thinking about what what the reason behind that is, and because I was doing lots of product design at that moment and three D printing, I kind of yeah, the idea emerged of. Could I print, could I design a printing press that is 3D printed and make it work, especially for, for intaglio printing, printmaking? Because etchings and engravings and, and dry points and stuff need much more pressure to print. Right. I feel like it's much less accessible than a lino cut, for example, mm-hmm. where you, well, in theory, you could always use a spoon to, to print a lino cut if you really wanted to, which is great, which is like one of the the best things about Linocut, I think. And I felt like lots of people don't have access to all of these other techniques because the the hurdle of having a press is so high. They're usually like mm-hmm. so expensive, so heavy and kind of difficult to get. You you have to have the space. And I was kind of thinking that an, an open source project could kind of fix that or kind of counteract this. So I was planning on coming up with a design of a press and put it online for free for people to use. So people with access to a 3D printer in a school or maybe university or lots of people go to local libraries, mm-hmm. they could manufacture their own tiny press for free and then kind of have access to these to all of these techniques. Yeah. So how do you actually go about making that leap between I want to design a 3D printed press and here is the design for a 3D printed press. That seems like such a huge undertaking. What did you, how did you even begin to figure out what was needed and all the moving parts and the coding? Like, where does all that come from? Well, luckily there's no coding involved, but. Oh, um, really? See, I always figured, see, I, see, this is like my total brand newbiness when it comes to 3D (laughs) printing. I was imagining like you'd need coding, but that's not. So maybe just can start Not there. Really. So like, what is sure. like the, yeah, the design for anything 3D printed? What does that even look like? So, well, I maybe like explain it with the, with the press. I would yeah. kind of like come up with a prototype or design in my head and then I would design it in CAD, like a computer-aided design. It's like a 3D program on the computer where you design your your 3D part. And then you have kind of a slicing program. It's, a, it's like a separate software where you prepare it for printing. So you basically sli- slice the 3D mont- model into layers. And that kind of, kind of sends it off to the 3D printer. And it's then going to kind of make it for you, basically. That's the 
the short explanation. It sounds like that there's programs that are already out there in the world that you can use to make your design and and create something that that you're looking for. And had you gotten exposure to those through your design classes? Yes, exactly. And luckily, these programs are all like open source. There's lots of free software and a huge community behind it where you can get help if you have any questions. So it's like it's a whole new community to get into. But yeah, it's really fun. And you get so many possibilities with 3D printing. I, I really like it. Oh, that's so cool. And I, I feel like I've heard about that kind of culture of free access to things on the internet, that it's really almost like an ideology that there's certain corners of the internet have about information not having a paywall of any kind and that inaccessibility is somehow inherently important and that the the democratic possibilities of the internet are really important to take advantage of. And I feel like there's a lot around 3D printing that falls into that narrative. Yes, exactly. There's also like, well, it's kind of always a juggle between can I make a living from it and be have it open source as well, like at the same time. Right. Um, yeah. So like it's a, it's a, yeah, interesting thing and like a challenge to, to juggle. But for the Upper Pass project, luckily, it's because it was like a university project, I was totally fine with it being for free. It was like not for profit. I was kind of I was getting my credit points. I got my A. I was I was fine. And then kind of like anything further was just on top. Mm, yeah. Luckily, yeah. like lots of people were so excited about it. Yeah. yeah. And so the, the presses themselves, I'd love to you if you could speak to the physicality of them a bit. So how big are they? I know I've got one here that's attached to a table, which is a brilliant way to get it to be secure because they are quite light. They're, they're 3D printed and they need to have, as you, as you spoke to, to print and tell you, you need a fair amount of pressure. And so there needs to be some kind of counterbalance. Yeah, How many sure. moving parts do they have? All of that. Oh, if I could remember. So like, yeah, it's, it's, there's just one size. And that's kind of the only size that we've been able to, to make it work. And we spent a lot of time to make it work with international shipping and stuff, because right. like, if it's too heavy, then like shipping costs increase like exponentially. It's crazy. So it was always kind of an in-between of making it big enough so people could make artwork with it or print mm -hmm. with it. At the same time, kind of uh, make it as portable as possible too. It's like, it's fairly small. You can like, it's like seven and a half centimeters by 23 centimeters, which is like three inches by nine inches, I think. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of the maximum size of paper that you could print on. And especially when you do intaglio printing, it's always like better to have smaller plates than that, not like use the full size bed. Mm -hmm. So like the, the prints that come, up, come out of it are really tiny, uh, which is so fun to see because like usually people are always like kind of the bigger the better in a way. Like yeah. it's more challenging to print bigger and then at the same time kind of challenge people to what if you if you make it smaller and how small can you go? And it's been really fun to see what people print with it. Are there limitations in terms of size beyond shipping? Is there like a certain structural thing that breaks down if you were to make one that was four feet by four feet or something? And of course, access to a 3D printer that size would be a huge barrier too. But is there also something about the material as well that puts a limitation on? Probably. I mean, I'm, I'm not an engineer, so I don't right. quote me on that. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> but yes, yeah, probably at some point it's not useful anymore, I guess. At some point it's better to have a metal press to have like a cast iron and like the usual presses you get. And well, because you're mostly limited by the by the size of your printer. So there are people that have printed it much larger and oh, it seemed to work. But because this project is all about like accessibility or like mm-hmm. access to, to printmaking, I wanted to make it work with most 3D printers out there. And that's kind of the size that like it's like a 15 by 15 centimeters cube. That is like every 3D printer is able to do that. And And so where... Have you seen the 3D printed presses out in the world? What are some of like the fun places you've seen them pop up since you started the project? Yeah, I mean, because I'm I'm based in, in Germany, it's always fun to see them on the other side of the world. Yeah. So there's there's presses on Hawaii in Hawaii. There's actually one person that printed a lino cut on an airplane. <laughs> which was so fun to just kind of see them, the tiny table. And it, which, but I, I always joke that this might be the highest line of cut ever printed. Yeah, um, I, I don't know how is. she got that through security, especially <laughs> with the ink and stuff. But yeah, it's it's really fun. And then there's like, of course, New Zealand, Japan, mm-hmm. and Mexico. So like, it's it's always fun to to see them pop up in in totally different places. And then. At the same time, it's really fun to because I'm I'm in in England every year. Basically, I'm attending an art fair called Woolwich Print Fair in London, uh-huh. and uh, it's all about printmaking. And it's so fun to then like meet people that have your presses. It's so surreal to kind of talk to people that only know you from from like online social media. Yeah, and this, yeah. This has been kind of increasing with the years. I really love it there. <laughs> and as you spoke to the accessibility of printmaking do you see them getting used like in schools much I know that was one of the first goals and you're seeing that come to fruition yes definitely I mean especially in the during the pandemic people didn't have access to a workshop and that's when teachers started to because they had access to the schools but the schools were closed in some areas they started to do a collaboration with their kind of technical teachers there 3d printing teachers and there has been schools that have equipped like a whole class with sets where every student gets a press and materials and stuff and they they get like a package and then they can do it all at home and do like zoom zoom calls with it so yeah and this has been increasing another thing is museums so like Mm -hmm. the educational kind of people at museums doing workshops with it to kind of ease people into printmaking because it's much less daunting, I guess. It's like it's not having this big press, but a really small one that you can use to get really quick results. And for kids, it's it's so much fun to figure out how printmaking works and how press works. Yeah. And again, I'm looking at kind of the physical structure of the press I've got here, and it does have a metal roller in that one. And so that's, I assume, not 3D printed, correct? So the, the version you have is the version that we manufacture. There's two version, versions, basically. There's the open source version where the upper roller would be 3D printed as well. So it's really easy to manufacture your own press. You just have to need, you, you just need two bolts, basically, and a blanket, and that's it. And then you can can start printing. That's the concept of the open source version, whereas mm. 
the version we manufacture is more focused on durability because if you don't have a 3D printer, you can't just reprint parts that break. Mm-hmm. So to make them more durable, and that's kind of where the, the ball bearings and the, the stainless steel roller comes in. And this is all followed by like. This is all set up after the Kickstarter that we did. So like mm-hmm. in 2019, we ran a crowdfunding campaign and well, I was expecting maybe like 100, 150 <laughs> orders maybe. And I was overwhelmed. Like we ended up with 1500 orders oh and God. it was crazy, terrifying and amazing at the same time. And then kind of the whole journey of figuring out how to found a company and uh, get these made basically setting up production and then finally be able to to ship all of them has been yeah it's been very challenging but really fun to kind of now be able to book a new products new new projects because we have 3d printers now that's great that's great and you say you're saying we who else is involved (laughs) in the project like before the kickstarter it was only me because Uh it was just a non-profit i was just doing it besides studying and then because we got, well, like I got so many orders. Luckily, my good friend Dominic, Dominic Schmitz, decided to join in, even though it didn't look very good at the beginning. <laughs> like I had miscalculated quite a bit. I was just focused on getting them as affordable as possible. And well, it, I ended up like not incorporating like certain costs. So mm. in the beginning, it was really a challenge to kind of figure out how to, how to manufacture them without going bankrupt immediately so and he was kind of he joined in and now it's just the two of us basically working on it that's i mean i feel like that's such an interesting part of the story and as someone who myself i like to take on projects even if i don't really know (laughs) too much about doing them but you know that that way of how you had this idea and then it became so much the demand for it was so much greater than you anticipated and then on top of that you'd realize that there's more to this than you had initially anticipated that must have been kind of terrifying it was it was (laughs) yeah i was not expecting it and it took a while to to get used to it i wouldn't want to miss this like 2019 2020 have been like so much work, but yeah, we, we got out ahead, I guess. And yeah. 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 And then on top of being a student, which is its whole other thing. So yeah. It kind of is. Yeah. I, I must say that my study is kind of like, it hasn't gotten as much attention lately. <laughs> I'm, I'm basically just right in front of my bachelor's. So I just need to do my thesis basically. And then, then I'm done. And I'm, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll be doing that soon. <laughs> <laughs> And so in terms of, I always am interested to talk to people who have had this idea for a project and they've not that it's, it's done yet, but already moved through some of the wobbly up and down shaky beginnings. If you were to go back and talk to 2018 Martin before <laughs> this project, what would you want to say to him about taking on open press? That's a good question. I don't know if I would say anything. Like maybe, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess 
if I would have known how much work it would be and how much kind of like problems would, would arise, I might not have done it. So yeah, it was probably a good idea to not know what I'm getting myself into. Kind <laughs> I, of totally, <laughs> way. I totally understand that. I honestly do. Yeah, I was, I think there's really something about the, 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 blissful ignorance like when you're on oh, the yeah. precipice of taking so on something exactly like, yeah that like you need that as you say like that they give it to to make it into fruition so you mentioned in passing just now that you're looking there thinking about at least other projects because it sounds like more or less you've gotten most of the kinks worked out of the open press project in the sense that you've got the open source version that people can just use but then as you say you also are selling these wonderful little like slightly more durable presses that they're so cute like I'm just looking at my desk now it's like <laughs> they're so cute that those actually you you can sell to people and that's of course at a cost which is just astronomically lower than a full-size etching press but yes and yeah. yeah on that point maybe like we we also like sell them for the, our own cost so we have this concept of people can choose if they want to pay on top to mm. enable us to work on future projects for example but kind of like we are trying to keep are we trying to keeping the costs as as low as possible to lower the hurdle basically as much as possible? Oh wow! And so it's sort of like a like choose what you pay kind of tiered structure. Actually, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's like it, you have three tiers and you can pick one, whatever kind of suits your your situation right now. And it's like a kind of a donation based system. Yeah, and it's yeah. luckily like people are choosing to 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 pay ourselves like pay us a bit more so we can pay ourselves a small salary. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I I love that. Like I I feel like any project that comes from that place it's such a uh, such a great sense of hope for what humans are and where their values are. <laughs> and and this idea that like you you can set something up where if someone truly can afford to pay more than the cost of it, like they still get a press. And yes. then just having faith that other people will be like, "Oh, well, I actually can afford to pay a bit more." And so I'll kind of cover some of that and 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 you know step up and and do that and and I, I love that and I always love that it's such a a wonderful shot in the arm to people who want to make a case for more socialist systems or the argument against there's always like people will never work if they don't have to people will never give more right you know yeah. and it's like no they will though <laughs> exactly Yes. And it's, I mean, at the same time, it's scary too, like not being like relying on this kind mm. of, but yes, luckily it's, it's been working out and I'm, I'm really fortunate to be able to make a living out of it, even though I'm still a student and like my costs are not as astronomically high, I guess. But yes, I just, I'm really fortunate to be able to do what, what I love at the moment. And you, you said it, so it was, I remember originally you, you talked about it as like a nonprofit and then, so is it still an, a nonprofit or is it a for-profit business, I guess, now? what's the... well, It was never a business, like a nonprofit business in like gotcha. a, a legal sense. It mm -hmm. was just a project, basically, and I was not making any money with it. And, well, now we have founded a company, so I guess we are a for-profit company, but we do a couple of things differently huh? than like the regular, I don't know, manufacturing company. When you're building things and doing things in the arts and making projects there's almost sometimes like a sense of guilt to want to be for me to want to be compensated for my time, <laughs> you know, but then people around me often have to remind me that's not a good attitude to have because what I'm 
bringing is of value and I should be compensated for what I'm bringing. And to be compensated makes it sustainable to keep doing it. And it's just a a funny side, I think, of of people who maybe have big hearts and work in the arts where we're just like, no, 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 I'm just in it to help other people. <laughs> yes, exactly. I know exactly what you mean. And it's been a curve as well, like getting from from that point to a more like, okay, how is this gonna gonna be in like five years, maybe? How is that mm. gonna work? If it's gonna work, are we flexible enough to kind of pivot our, our things if it doesn't work out? But so far, if like as long as people are ordering presses and are like interacting in this awesome community, then I'm I'm just gonna keep making presses. Yeah, and so you mentioned perhaps maybe other projects. Yes. Uh, do you have some dreams for what Open Press Project is going to be working on? Interesting. I don't know about dreams. I mean, like the the thing that gives me a lot of fulfillment right now is the print exchange that we ran last year mm-hmm. because as i said it's really fulfilling to see what people make with the presses and having a print exchange was a really fun initiative to reach out to all of them with tiny presses and ask them like do you want to participate in this and get prints in return and we're gonna set up exhibitions and the first exhibition just ended in Cologne and we had another one that was kind of at the same time in Japan and we're kind of set it up so it's easy for us to scale so it's really easy for like a printmaking workshop to show the exhibition somewhere else around the world because it's tiny prints and they're all in tiny 3D printed frames. So it's like really light. We can just ship it around the world and then kind of everything that goes along with a catalog, a book, an online gallery. And it's really kind of been fun to to see the variety of things because especially in these exhibitions a print that was maybe from someone who just started in printmaking is right next to a print that is obviously from someone who has done it for years but they're always they're on the same level and there's not even like um labels under them this they just have a number and you can look up the number online to see to get background information on the prints and it's been really fun to see them next to each other and I'm I'm just still, I'm going to the website and, and checking them out because there's always a new print that I, I haven't looked at. Oh, that's even so though, cool. Like, How many participants in, did you have? We had like a bit more than 350, oh I gosh. think. <laughs> so like, that's like three and a half thousand prints to, to kind of handle and ship. Say, and, oh uh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's. It was, it was really fun. It was our first one. We were more careful than the initial Kickstarter to set this up. So we, we ran like a test run, asked a couple of people to join in and then tried, tested out the shipping stuff and all of the, the sorting and how we're going to do the photos. Luckily, Dominic is like a professional photographer, so he can do really high quality photos of all of the prints that we can use for the online gallery and the book, for example. And yeah, it's been a really around project it's it's been really fun to with these people and then kind of people travel to the exhibitions as well and there's like it's so great to meet them so it's a it's a print exchange as well as the exhibition so what's the addition size and and then how many prints do people get back so it was an addition of 10 Mm-hmm. each so people would send in 10 identical prints and get nine back from other participants and one of them would be kept for the exhibitions and for the online gallery to be photographed and be shown in exhibitions. That's the thing. And they were always like, all of them were seven by seven centimeters sized. 
Mm-hmm. So all of them were square, and we could because the the quality of the photos are so so good, we could scale them scale them up to sixty by sixty centimeters without having like a loss in quality. And then you can really see the texture of the the paper and the deckled edges, and yeah, it's very really, cool. And then so you you three D printed. Was it 350 frames? Was the exhibition every print or did you curate it? Any- well, we, we're not curating in any way. Like we wanted to, because we feel like it's not our position to judge what mm-hmm. is a good print, what is good enough to be in the exhibition. So mm-hmm. we are always either picking random collections of prints. So for, for example, for the Japan one, we just picked 99 random prints and sent them off. And then, yes, it was, we have printed 350 tiny 3d printed frames <laughs> which is not that much of a deal because because of the kickstarter we have set up our 3d printers to work automatically so like they spit out finished parts for us it's always to get them dialed in but then it's like they are working for us 24 7 mm-hmm. and like a couple of days later i think it took like three or four days to print all of them and then like you have to set them up and frame them that was a much more like much more work but yeah i'm just imagining you like just coming into like a literal pile of 3D printed frames that this like machine's just spinning out for you. It's really slow though. Like each frame takes one and a half hours or something. Yeah. Yes, but basically it's coming back to like a box of, of 30 frames and then having to to check them and, and prepare them. Yeah. And then uh, did you get like little squares of glass as well? Are they all under glass? No, they're not. Glass would be like too, too heavy. Yeah. Um, and then delicate again with the shipping exactly. and, yeah yeah and we have built us like a special box for it so they are always neatly sitting in like foam and you can package them up really neatly in like a small box and then ship it and it's really easy for people to set up the exhibitions that way that's super exciting and if i i believe that you will be sending out an invitation again this year for anyone who who'd want to participate is that correct Yes, exactly. I mean, we're trying to, we're aiming at doing this every year now because it's Mm -hmm. so much fun. And so it's probably going to be really similar, but we're we're planning to to run another one in November and Mm -hmm. have people register in November, just like last time. And then there's going to be a deadline for the sent-in prints, which is going to be next year. But yeah, Ah. that's all to be decided. Absolutely. Oh, that sounds really exciting. So... Where could people see, because you said the archive is there of these like very nicely documented works. And then also where could they sign up for this year's if they're, if they're keen to, to join in the fun? Yeah, so the, the official website is openprintexchange.com. That's where the, the online gallery is. And there's going to be a link for the, the, the next one as well. But then again, it's all going to be like on social media. Right. We have a newsletter too. It's like, yeah, we're not going to be it's going to be everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I, I know you said that you've got a curatorial neutrality when it comes to it, but do you have any like particular favorite prints that you've seen someone make? Not even necessarily part of the exchange, but just in the years you've been doing it, ones that, that stand out that you just are really delighted by what someone took with your project and, and took on creating. I, yeah, I always like the, the, 
Japan ones. I always like because there's like most of them are really intricate and I really like the Intaglio ones. So having like yeah. a really detailed hard ground etching of this illustration is, is really, yeah, what I really like. And then at the same time, it's so fun to see them from Mexico as well. I feel mm. like they have really special style and it's, it's like very different in a way it's mostly lino cut and you got skulls and mm. like I really like them both equally I guess yeah well I was thinking actually about Japan particularly with the the scale of the work because I've traveled in Japan and I've, I've stayed in Tokyo for a while with friends and the flats there are quite small I mean it's just it's 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 true that you can be in an apartment that's the size of an American kitchen in a studio yeah. and it they make it very cozy and it works, but there just truly would be no way to have any kind of traditional press in a space like that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to walk from one side to the other. And so the fact that you've got this press that just attaches to a table or a desk, I mean, it would be perfect for people who are living in cities that, that do have like the, the, the smaller square footage. So I could see why people would be very excited about that. Yeah. Definitely. And like, I guess we we are planning to focus more on, on different languages as well. So like mm. right now we're only communicating in English and that kind of leaves us with uh, lots of people from the US, Australia and all of the like English speaking countries, mm -hmm. UK. And it's it would be really fun to, we're, we're just two people, but maybe we can kind of expand that and have Spanish as well, have all of the Spanish people in the community too, and Japan and like maybe Korean. It's like, yeah, that would be really fun to open this up even more and make this even more international. Yeah. I mean, would you like to make a little call out right now on the podcast for anyone who might be willing to offer some translation? That, that would be amazing. I guess we have to figure out the technicalities because if it's too much trouble to implement this in all of our material, then we have to, to kind of think about this. But yes, in general, that would be really cool to have translations to all kinds of languages. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, if, if someone is just listening and is interested, they can shoot you an email, it sounds like, and, and you can kind of figure it out as you go. But there's a lot of a lot of international listeners, you know, to the podcast I see on my my analytics so if anyone's listening and they're like hey I could that would be amazing I, yeah, yeah I could translate this into Mandarin Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you got the two aspects of the project and you've got this this print exchange do you have any other ideas that if you were kind of in like unlimited time and resources that you'd like to see open press project expand into not that's not enough already what you're doing, but I always think it's interesting if you had all the time in the world and what you'd like it to be. Yeah, I mean, I would probably focus a lot more on, on the community. I mean, that's kind of, we're trying to do that already, but having more community challenges, having more projects like the Open Print Exchange, having more exhibitions around the world. And then at the same time, because I'm, Basically, I, I just love tinkering and making stuff and coming up with new projects and new products. And that's kind of where I would put most of my time probably, like work on, on new press-related products that are 3D printed and kind of, yeah, 
make yeah. it available to the community. And you said that the press is designed for Intaglio, but people can use it for relief printing. How do they go about doing that? So the press is, is capable of printing blocks that are up to like 2.5 centimeters, so almost an inch high. And lots of people would actually use them for lino cut as well and do monoprints or all, all kinds of techniques, basically. And for bigger blocks, it's probably useful to use runners. So you mm -hmm. would have like little strips of the same material next to it so the, the roller doesn't fall down and kind of keeps, yeah, it's, it's the, right, the right height. And that's kind of what people are, are doing. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Well, where can people find Open Press? And, and we mentioned the exchange, but just in general, where are you out there on the internet where people can see what people are making and get involved and maybe download what they need to to make their own presses? Yeah, the the best address is probably Instagram. It's at Open Press Projects, and that's kind of we are where we are reposting other people's work, so people can kind of tag us, and then we we kind of share it with the community. And if you're like planning to print your own press or order them from us, it's openpressproject.com, and there's kind of instructions on what to keep an eye out if you're 3D printing them. There's a couple of aspects that you kind of need to need to make sure to to make a durable press. That's the yeah, it's openpressproject.com, and then the online gallery would be openprintexchange.com. Very cool. Well, Martin, I'm so happy that you're out here in the print world working on this project because it's so neat. And I know that I have just really loved seeing what people make on these presses. They're so creative. And I love what you spoke to earlier in our conversation about how people think that larger is harder, larger is, is more challenging, but really making like a really successful image that's quite small is so challenging too. And so I, it's really amazing to see the way people take that on and the way they're using your press to do that. So yeah, it's very exactly. exciting. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And so for sure, if people make something, they can, they can tag you in it. And yeah, definitely. I'd love to see anything. If anyone hears this and makes something that definitely tag the podcast too. I'd love to see like what, what comes out of our conversation and gets made into the world for people who are introduced to this cool thing that you're doing so that's awesome yeah awesome well thank you so much martin it's been really fun chatting and, and learning more about what you, what you do well thank you like i've been listening to this podcast whenever i'm uh, assembling presses so i feel oh, like yeah. i should be really downstairs <laughs> assembling them I'm, i need something to fidget so it's really surreal to to be on it and, uh, thank oh, you so much so for having me yeah this has been great if you like today's episode, we have a Patreon where you can help us keep the lights on and get bonus content like Shop Talk Shorts, where our editor, Timothy Pauschak, digs deep on materials, processes, and techniques with past guests. And if monetary support is not in the cards for you right now, you can leave a review for us on your podcast listening app of choice or buy something from one of our sponsors and tell them Hello Print Friend sent you. But as always, the very best thing you can do to support this podcast is by listening and sharing with your fellow print friends around the world. And that's our show for this week. Join me again next week, which will be the last episode in our IFPDA Print Fair trilogy. 
It'll be a double hitter episode in which I talk with the incredible artist Derek Adams and our patron saint of printmaking, the philanthropist Jordan Schnitzer. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week. Thank you.